You're listening to Cash Talk, Episode 6. Everybody deals with credit, and everybody's told from a young age you're supposed to have good credit and do what you can to keep your credit in pristine condition, but what exactly is it? Why does it matter? How does this affect me? That's what we're going to be covering today. Yeah, we'll be discussing you know, why credit is important and uh, who looks at your credit, what is secured versus unsecured debt. We're going to do a little bit of highlights in each of those. Um, and how do you know if you have good or bad credit? Right. We're going to be touching on some of the topics when it comes to behaviors for good credit and bad credit, things you should be doing if you want to keep your credit good, and maybe things that you might be doing that's pulling your credit down, things that you need to, yes. need to be avoiding. I suppose the first thing you know, we're going to go ahead and dive on into this because this is kind of a it's kind of a big topic. Um, we'll make first, it easy though. <laughs> first of all, um, in the world of credit, there's three credit bureaus. We have Experian, Equifax, TransUnion. Um, depending on what you get, what product you're getting, um, I know mortgages do do a tri merge of all three of those. Um, they do kind of a comparison and get your credit score that way. Uh, but for the purposes of consumer loans, getting maybe a car, getting a personal loan. Credit card. Yes. Um, th- we use Equifax typically. And uh, the credit scores on that can range from 380 to 850. 380 being on the lower end, the bad credit side. 850 being on the higher end. Some of the reasons why keeping your credit intact and in pristine condition is important is it's not just... Something that the lender is going to be looking at whenever you want a loan, but also if you're getting a cell phone, if you are getting an apartment, they're going to check your credit. Some jobs will also take a look at your credit to see you know, where your ranking is mm-hmm. and if you pay your bills on time, if you owe anybody any money before they even hire you. So even if you're not okay. planning on getting a loan immediately or in the near future, you kind of want to have – a decent history going on at all times. Exactly. When you um, when you are setting up your utilities at your very first place, they pull your credit. Mm-hmm. They need to know what kind of risk you are. They want to make sure you're not going to leave a balance with them. Right. And so really, just about everybody, just about everybody mm-hmm. pulls your credit unless they tell you, hey, we don't pull credit. Just expect it. Yeah. With utilities also, they pull your credit to see if you're going to be a good risk or if they should probably figure out a different arrangement for you to set up an account with them. But also, if your credit is a little shakier and it's not on the better end, they may require a deposit or even Mm -hmm. a pretty high deposit just to establish an account with them. Yes. So having bad credit can get very expensive for you in areas outside of lending in its own. Yes, exactly. Car insurance is a valid one also. A lot of car insurance companies will weigh out your credit to kind of determine what rate they're going to give you. They have study – or studies have been done saying that people who have – a certain margin of credit or they're on the lower end are more likely to get into accidents, more likely to maybe have losses, things like that. I don't know if it's true or not, but they have the statistics that say that's what the case is and they charge accordingly. Yes. So if you're keeping your car insured as you should as a driver, then you're going to want to be keeping that in mind also. Yes. Okay. So our next, um, we're going to talk about what secured is versus unsecured debt. That's something we'll probably be mentioning throughout this episode, so we'll go ahead and let you know up front what it is. Yes, secured. I'd say we're all pretty familiar with secured. Um, we've got your, you've got a car, 
your mm-hmm. car. That's a secure debt. It's secured by the actual car. Cars, house, motorcycle, jet ski, boat, something. You went, you applied for a loan. You gave up a title or your deed or something that said, if I stop paying on this loan, you have the legal right to repossess this asset from me and sell it to recoup your losses. Yes. Is what yes. a secure debt is. Exactly. That's an excellent definition. That was very, very <laughs> succinct. Um, yes. And we ha- there's also unsecured debt. And unsecured debt is completely unsecure pretty much just a guarantee using kind of your signature sort Mm -hmm. of a i promise i'm going to pay this back because if you don't pay it back there's nothing to repossess there's nothing to you know put your you know there's no way to to recover that payment Mm -hmm. there's no way to recover that payment um they're you're just out you it eventually will be charged off so they want to know you know are you going to be good for this Mm mm-hmm if you don't have positive credit, it's very difficult to get that because they you you have there's too much risk there. The term secured versus unsecured loans, to kind of put it in a different perspective, think of it from the lender side. Secured being like you let somebody borrow fifty bucks in exchange, they buy a end table, and if they don't pay you the fifty dollars back, you take the end table. Unsecured being you give them fifty bucks and you just hope to give you the money back. Exactly. The term secured versus unsecured is from the lender side. Do yes. they have something to back this money up, or do they not? And if you've you know, if you've shown that you've been able to pay a debt back, and time after time, you know, years have gone by, and you've you've shown that you can pay, unsecured debt is really it's easy to approve. Mm-hmm. And that's your your credit cards, your personal loans, student loans are also unsecured, although they can't be charged off or declared in bankruptcy so they're kind of in that weird middle ground but they're technically unsecured because it's just backed by your signature furniture loans things like that in-store credit cards unsecured Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. okay so we you know we've told you um about secured versus unsecured why credit is important how do you know if your credit is good you know or if your credit is bad you you know are you going to be able to get this secured or unsecured debt are you going to be able to you know get your utilities hooked up well, we're going to let you know based on um, some of the some of the items that we I say myself as an underwriter that we look for when applying for these type of loans. What are some of the things that can build up your credit, and what are some of the things that can bring it down? Mm-hmm. Do you want to start with the positive or the negative? Let's let's start with positive. I like to start off on that. All right, let's a happy do it. Note. Okay, uh, the, <laughs> these are the items that um, that make up a really good credit score. First off, we want to go with on-time pay history. And when we say on-time, if it's due the 15th, you don't pay it on the 15th, that's fine. But if you pay it the next month on the 20th, you've gone more than 30 days. Mm-hmm. And if you go more than 30 days, um, Equifax will show that you've paid it late. Right. Anytime that payment is past the 30-day mark. So like she said, if your payment's due on the 15th and you maybe you don't pay it on the 15th, you pay it on the 24th, you might get charged a late fee from the institution, but they're not going to report it to your credit until it's after 30 days. Yes. So make sure you always pay on time. That's one of the easiest things that you can possibly do to keep your credit on the up and up. One of the sticky things about that is... When you look at a credit report, it shows you the um, your your behavior and how you pay, and it shows you that for quite some time. With the slow pay history, if you paid a credit card late one time in 2014, it's going to show that you paid it late that one time in 2014, 
in 2017. Mm-hmm. It's going to show that you paid it that late. Yep. Now, some places might, it might not matter to them. Maybe it's a one-off thing, and that's fine. But it will show it on there. It, that's it stays not on your credit erased. for 7 to 14 years, depending yes. on what it mm-hmm. is. Um, this chart I'm going to read off is actually from myfico.com. They administer credit scores. The biggest piece of the credit pie when it comes to what makes up your actual credit score is payment history at 35%, followed by the amounts owed that you own your credit. So how much debt do you have in general? Um, How long have you had these accounts? Do you have new loans? Do you have a good mix of credit? Those all kind of vary down when it comes to what your score is. But the most important thing is are you paying these loans on time, every time, month by month, year by year? Yes. And if you and if you've made a if you've made a budget for yourself and we'll discuss that on future mm-hmm. on a future podcast on making a budget but if you've made a budget for this then this is not a difficult thing for you you can just you can pay it I know myself I have a lot of things on auto pay just so that I don't forget I'm an auto pay fan when um, you pay it the same amount of time you're completely fine you don't really have to worry about this 30 day thing but 31 days. And depending on where you're at, sometimes they eat, sometimes they're incredible stick, incredible sticklers about the 30 days. And that 31 day, 31st day, they will report. Mm-hmm. And if that's in there, if you paid it on the 31st day, it doesn't matter. You paid it late. So let's get those things in early. Yeah, pay it on time or pay it a few days early. Personally, myself, I always go a couple of days early just so if the payment day falls on like a weekend or the mail is a little slow or something it doesn't affect me not you, at all yeah if you pay like check or something and mm-hmm. you want to make sure that it's you know the time amount of time when you do the snail mail make sure it gets there in time you paying it early would definitely help um okay then the next uh, our next bullet point here that we want to hit is um proper utilization of credit card limits absolutely and, yes and um this one's kind of a tough one when by utilization, I mean if you have a five thousand dollar credit card and you have forty nine hundred dollars on it, um, Equifax sees that as wow they really they really need this credit card. Are they using this to supplement their income? Do they um, are they going to put a high high balance on here and then not pay it? Are they when your when your balances are higher, you become riskier mm-hmm. and it, and sometimes and, and in some cases. Credit card companies will actually raise your interest rate because you have become a higher risk. I know um, I get a I get quite a bit of consolidation requests by people who have who've put a large balance on their credit cards and they want it paid off because they have high interest rates. They probably signed up for that card on a low interest rate, but because they have a high balance, their credit card company is saying, "Whoa, okay, you're a bigger risk now, so now your interest rate is going to be double." And it's, that's hard to do when your interest rate's high and you have a big balance. That's a bigger payment than you were paying. So, mm-hmm. you when I say utilization, um, that's keeping a low balance on your on your credit cards. Right. General guideline is to keep it at below thirty percent of the limit. So to bring it down to an easy to understand equation, if your limit's one thousand dollars on that particular card, you don't want to have it over three hundred bucks at any point, really. You should kind of act as if $300 is your limit. Once you start getting above that dollar amount, it's going to start kind of bringing your score down because it's shown that you're using more credit. And when it comes to your, like Missy mentioned, with the interest rates and things like that, when it comes to how it affects your credit score, the bureaus want to see that you can manage credit, but you don't depend on credit. You don't need credit to live. 
Yes. That's essentially what it's rating. So if it looks like, oh, well, you your limit is a thousand dollars, you're at nine hundred ninety bucks, you are living on that card. Yes. So, do you have any flexibility in your actual life? Do we need to worry that you're going to not be able to make these payments, or you're going to get another card and rake it up again? Yes. What's the end game here? That's, yes, exactly. And that's exactly what they think because they, I mean, they, they are assessing their risk at all times. Um, companies will, uh, some companies, if you have a larger limit and they see that you keep using, and maybe some companies will give you higher limits and higher limits. And if you're using them and they see that you're using the entire limits, sometimes they'll take that limit away or they'll take it down. Mm-hmm. And so, because you're too much of a risk. So, utilization is incredibly important. So, yeah, with the MyFICO thing I mentioned earlier, um, when it comes to the amounts owed, this falls to about 30% of your score. So, it's the second most significant only after how how regular and how much do you pay on time. Okay, our next, uh, I guess our next bullet point here is you will have positive credit if you have a longer length of account history. Mm-hmm, and that, mm-hmm. that means you're... You know, you can have a credit score that's um, that consists of, you know, two credit cards, maybe an unsecured loan that you got to pave your driveway, and a, a mortgage and a car. But let's say you got the car, the house, and you you know, concreted your driveway all within two months. Mm-hmm. You have two months pay history in all three of those. So your credit card and You've had your credit card for a year. So all of your credit that's showing is a year or less. That's not good. So, I mean, you know, when things happen, and, you know, statistically they say you buy a house or a car within six months of each other. And that's incredibly true. I swear I see that so often. But when you do that, um, you know, you you need to get things. You need to get a house. You need to get a car. You need, you know, maybe you need a credit card. Maybe you're you want a credit card for the... Um, for the Sky Miles or things like that. So you get one. So you've got everything, you know, you've got your needs covered. You, so, but when you open them all um, within a short period of time, it does chip down your score a bit. When you pay on those, when you keep paying on those without opening new accounts, your score will will rise. Because it'll see that, hey, you've taken on this debt, but you're able to manage it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it comes to your uh, credit report and when it comes specifically to the length of your account history, the lenders want to see that you can manage this debt every month for a long period of time over and over and over. So things like buying a car and getting an auto loan, that does happen. Obviously, your account will be a little young until you've had that car for, for a few years. But you don't want to just get out there and keep opening up things over and over and over because it, it doesn't show that you can handle payments for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to credit cards specifically, because this is one of those things where like your car, you pay off the car and you you don't owe, the loan closes. You don't owe anything else on it. There's no extensions. There's no balance that can come back up. You can't rack that back up again unless you sell the car and open up a brand new loan. But with credit cards, as an example, when you pay it off... I personally don't advocate on closing them. I leave them open because even at a zero balance, if you've had this car for this card for four years, it will report on your credit that you've maintained this thing for you know four yes. plus years. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've had it, but you've not used it. Mm-hmm. And if you had a balance on it, and you've paid the balance down, and you've not put another balance on it. They're saying, okay, well, they have a high balance credit card, and they don't even really need to use it. Right, and that's a good thing. 
It's a very good thing. That's what they want to see. They want to see that you don't need to use these. Somebody's extended credit to you to use if you want to, but you don't need to. Yes. And definitely if you if you have one of those kind of cars that has an annual fee, and I wasn't even thinking about this. Adrian brought this up and I, I'm because I've never really had a credit card with an annual fee. Um, but I know there are some out there that do. Some get pretty steep too. Yeah. Oh, really? If if you have an annual fee and you've, um, and you don't close out your credit card, I mean that's great. But if the annual fee gets tacked on there, you've got a balance. Mm-hmm. Is it, and it's a balance, I guess. The the annual fee turns into a balance. I think some of the lower end annual fees are like twenty five bucks. I've seen them go as high as almost a hundred per year just to keep that card open. Okay. So there's certain cards that have like you know reward points and cash back and things like that you can accrue. So if you are using those to offset that annual fee, it may not be a big deal. Mm-hmm. But looking at it from a different light, um, if you're having this annual fee hit your card every single year. A, you need to be aware of it so you can pay it off. Otherwise, it's going to sit there and accrue interest and then become a late payment and so on and so forth. But B, you also might want to weigh out the option. How long have you had this card and is it worth paying this annual fee every single year? Yes. It might not be worth it just to keep this card out there forever and ever and ever. It's true. So if there's an annual fee involved, I personally am very fee adverse. I don't pay anybody a dollar more than I have to. So if there's a fee, I will find a way out of it. I will do whatever little promotion I have to do because sometimes if you're not using your card, they'll send you something saying, hey, why don't you use your card a little bit and then we can hook you up with something. I'll do that. I will try to negotiate to have that fee waived. I will just close the card, something to get rid of it myself. But be aware if there is an annual fee that you need to – you're going to be held responsible to that. So – plan for it and make sure it gets paid otherwise it will affect you without even you realizing it because you're not even using this card and let's let's move on over to having a lower overall amount of debt Mm -hmm. now when i when i say a lower overall amount of debt i I mean i I realize that we you know we all live in a world where we've got to have we have to have a house we have to have a car we have to have you know, if you if you maybe you're sending your kids to private school and you finance that or maybe you know you've got different aspects of things that you you know you've gotten a loan for that's fine but if you have kept a <laughs> if you have kept a large amount of debt for um quite some time that starts to chip away at your ability to continue to pay it so when you have a, a high amount of debt for a long period of time it starts to become risky so if you can if you can keep if you can keep that one credit card or if you can, you know, you have your mortgage for five years, you have your car for two years, they're saying, okay, well, they're keeping a reasonable amount of debt based on what a typical person needs. So mm-hmm. you, you haven't gone out and gotten, you know, an, an ATV and a boat and uh, three credit cards and you, have, you haven't gone out to do that. While your income might allow you to be able to pay all those back. Equifax doesn't know that. They don't know your income. They just see the type of debts that you're opening and how quickly you're opening them and how much you're keeping at one time. Mm -hmm. And they're also checking um, how many different types you have. So, I mean, if you have three credit cards and nothing else, that's going to weigh a little differently than if you have, you know, a credit card, a motorcycle and a car as an example it it shows intent you have different things different priorities it's not just how much cash can i get but more so intent that was a really good that's a good word that's that's incredibly 
That's exactly what it is. And I'll tell you, saying that, though, I feel like leads us into our next one. Mm-hmm. Because our, our next one, which is our last um, bullet point, is having um, varied... Uh, you have various types of debt, um, revolving, installment, secured, and unsecured. Now, I know earlier we had talked about secured versus unsecured, and that's basically what revolving and installment is. Revolving is typically unsecured. Installment is typically secured, but installment can also be what is known as closed-end loans, which can be an unsecured loan, like when I had talked about earlier, mm-hmm. concrete your driveway. That's a, you know, maybe you knew all you need was 5000 to do it, and that's all you wanted to borrow. You wanted to be able to pay that 5000 off, and then you're done with that loan. So that would be an installment or closed-end loan. Right. When the loan's paid off, the loan closes, and that's the end of it. Whereas a revolving is like a credit card as an example where you get a limit of $5,000, you charge $5,000, you pay off $5,000 the next month, you can spend $5,000 again if you want to. Yes, yes. It stays open, an open-end loan. When you have a when you have a credit report that has, you know, maybe all four of those on there, Equifax sees this as not only your ability to handle all of those debts, but that like what Adrian had pre- just previously said, you have the intent. You, the intent is there. You mm-hmm. you have opened those all you know, intentionally to have a home, to have a car to have a credit card to be able to use in emergency situations. You, you are using those as they were intended. And having all of those shows, and if you have all of those and are able to be responsible with them, then that raises your score even higher. Yes, uh, Mixer Credit is about 10% of your score. It's still a very major component, but that's just 10% when it comes to you know, how many different types of things do you have on there. These are the, uh, I guess these are the um, things you can do or that maybe you have done that have created a less than stellar score. Mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like I don't want to say bad credit because your, it's your bad credit right can now. Be, yes, exactly. You, now, Adrian had bad credit for a little while. There was a time period when my credit score was 500. Did you just say Adrian in third person? I did. Don't judge. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a time that my credit score was 500 and... That's where I was for a little while, but I put in some work, I got disciplined, I paid off the things that I owed and built some positive, but just because you're in a bad situation right now doesn't mean that you can be there forever. Okay, and right here is actually where I want to plug Man versus Cash. If you all have not been there, um, Adrian actually talks about some of the things that he went through, how he started out. Mm-hmm. We're not talking from a place of perfection we're talking from a place that not only have we learned in our professional lives, but personally. He talks about, he's got, there's several articles in there that talk about his laptop purchase oh, and talk thing. about how, yeah, yeah, how he, you know, student loans. And a lot of the things that he's learned today have been through life experiences. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, if you want to say, okay, this Adrian thinks he's so Mr. Special and you want to go <laughs> see exactly what he's gone through, you know, go to Man vs. Cash. You'll get to, you'll get to see it. You, you'll get to see how, how he started out maybe in this, the lesser credit and he's built, you know, built himself up. So. Yeah. That's actually, it's kind of odd that I made it, what, we're on episode six and I didn't even think to mention. Yeah, I have a website, manversuscash.com, which is kind of where this podcast originated from. But I have tons of articles on there. I think I'm at about 70 where I just kind of talk about things that I've done. And when I say things I've done, mistakes I've made, things that I've learned like that, the 
laptop that I bought for 800 bucks that cost me $2,000. Um, the time I overspent on living room furniture, some of the dumb mistakes I've just learned in general with money. So although you're in a bad situation, it gets better if you try. Exactly. And you can relate to someone else that, you know, you can read it and say, oh my gosh, I did the same thing. So, you know, this, you know, maybe this is you, but that doesn't mean it has to be you forever. Right. So... So there's my there's my plug for Andrew's <laughs> cash. She plugged it me before really, I plugged myself. <laughs> it is it is really good. You guys, I do have to check it out. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to what has made your score well less than less than fantastic. Okay, probably. Well, well what would you consider a bad score? Oh, okay. Well, I know we talked about the range of three eighty to eight fifty. Uh, I would say probably if you're if you're less than six hundred. Um, you're categorized as subprime and subprime is when your credit score when you when you have the the most amount of risk associated with your borrowing ability you um if you're subprime you know while we're all different and while sometimes it just takes one or two things to take your score down for the most part you have a higher amount of risk so you're considered subprime right. so i'm going to say less than 600 is considered um a poorer score mm-hmm. if I think, you, when I think you that's when correct. you look at um if you look on advertisements and they say what do you think your credit is you know good or like best you know good fair poor the poor area is I'd say five ninety and below. Mm-hmm. So that's that's right around that score, I'd say. Yeah. Um, speaking from my side of the finance industry, you might find out when you're trying to buy a house, most lenders will cap you if you have about six twenty credit or below. They're not going to be able to extend a loan to you. That is because you fall into a subprime category. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, above six twenty, you will receive higher, or you'll receive lower interest rates, better terms, more flexible payments. When you're in a lower area, you're going to be they, – yes. they may require more money down. They yes. may come with higher interest rates, higher fees. Maybe they won't let you extend the loan out as far. Yes. There's some drawbacks, and it can get pretty expensive. Yes. We're, we're actually going to be um, talking on the future show about interest rates, and you're going to want to tune in because this – you're going to either be able to – you're going to um, understand what we're talking about. You probably have gone through this yourself. Or, you know, maybe you haven't even gotten a loan yet and you don't realize what maybe risk-based lending is and what your interest rate can be if you have a poor a poor credit score or a really good credit score and mm-hmm. how much money that will save you in the long run. So you'll definitely have to tune in when we do that show. Right. So, okay, let's move into probably since we talked on the positive side about pay history, let's do that. Um one of the things that brings down your score is a slow pay history. Mm-hmm. You um, now, I know Adrian talked about the financial institution that you are that you financed with. They're they're going to have late fee payments themselves, right? As Usually an institution, after five to fifteen days after the due date, they're going to probably start charging you a fee. A lot of times, it's really just to encourage you. Hey, we don't want to charge you this fee. We just want you to pay on time. But if you're going to pay late. You're going to pay a convenience fee for paying late. Yes, exactly. Now, um, as for the purposes of calculating your score, Equifax sees more than 30 days late is considered a slow payment. They mm-hmm. consider, and depending on how many times you do it, if you paid September 
September through December late, and but you, you, know, you got it caught up in January. It's going to show the number of times you were late between September and December. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say something happened within that time. We're all human. Things happen. Things happen that are beyond our control. But it, it will show that. Right. It'll it'll show. Let's say January, everything's fine. You know, maybe you lost your job. Maybe that was why. In January, you started, or just maybe December, you started working or, again. In January, you're able to pay it. Even in the winter, I mean, January <laughs> or September to January, a lot of times, you know, temperatures go down, utility prices go up. So, do you want to keep heating your house? Do you want to pay that credit card? Maybe that's why you're late a couple times. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Your stuff happens mm-hmm. when you. Now I know. Um, when we look at that, if you're someone who typically pays everything really well, you, know, you pay things on time, you, you know, maybe you have, you know, been in the credit system for 10 years, you know, you've been, you've been paying things really well for 10 years, something happened. Maybe you got put, maybe you were in the hospital and you, you know, you weren't able to work, you did, things happened. And for the 10 years, for four months, you paid slowly, but then you're back on track. When we look at those, we look at that as an isolated incident. Now, while that might bring your score down, it's considered isolated. So, depending on where you're financing at, that could be there. You know, there can be some exceptions there. But basically, if you're paying, if you're paying slow, you're paying slow, and that's 31 days and beyond. Mm -hmm. Slow payment literally means you are paying it a little slow. You're not rushing to get it done each month. It's just well. When I mosey on down there and give them their money, then they'll be paid. That's where the term slow payment kind of originates from. Yes. You're just being slower than the due date. Yes. Essentially. Okay, so let's move on to our next one. That would be, um, we had talked about having on-time pay history for the positive. So um, I guess the opposite here would be a lack of payment history. Mm Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, not even just having a slow payment, but if you, you know, you just opened a credit card two months ago. And you're back to apply for another loan. Yes, exactly. You don't really, yeah. And let's say you've got a $500 credit card and now you want a $30,000 auto. Mm-hmm. Mm, well, your income might support that. Maybe you make a, maybe you just graduated um, college and you, you got yourself an excellent job and you can more than afford that $30,000 car. You have a two month pay history on a $500 credit card. Just because you make the income, that does not mean you can make you can your income allows you to make those payments, but you've not shown the credit history to be able to make those payments. Right, and uh, a loan underwriter looks at many different avenues. They look at your credit, they look at your income. They also kind of want to see. I mean, beyond that, like your housing situation, as an example, what what is your overall picture? Just because you have income coming in, how long have you had this job? Mm-hmm. How like has this pay been the same year by year? These are various things that kind of fall in mind. So, um, exactly. when it comes to like pay- payment history, that is important. But there, there's more folds to that book. So, I mean, you know, it, uh, there's there's an easy fix to that one though. Lack of payment history. You, this is where you, um, you need to, you have to have a plan with things. When you open that credit card, and then two months later you need a car. What happened? Why do you need? Why do you need a car? Mm-hmm. Why do you need a car all of a sudden? If you if you've been driving the same car for twelve years and it's been paid for, and let's say you know you got an accident or maybe it's just completely died on you, you need a new car. So that's why, you know, that's why you need a, a new car. But because the only thing you have on your credit is that credit card, 
it's going to be difficult for you to get that car. Right. So, and that lack of payment history um, will not raise your score. And actually, if you have no credit and the only thing you have is that that credit card, you won't even have a score yet. So, you're going to need to, you're going to need to put something, put something forward. Mm -hmm. So, um, it won't even develop, it won't even develop a pay or a score yet. So. Right. Okay. So just like when we mentioned the positive, keeping your credit utilization down, if you have a $1,000 credit card, keeping your balance at $300 or below, the opposite side of that coin is having a higher balance. If you have a card that's near maxed out or maxed out or you have many cards that way or even if it's not necessarily a card but you just bought a car for you and your significant other and then maybe you bought a house a few months before that – all of these loans, their balances are right at the very top of where you started because yes. you haven't had a lot of time to pay them off yet. Yes. That's going to pull your score down because it, it looks like the credit you have been extended, you need every single dollar of it. Yes. Yes, that's 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 incredibly true. And and I know when you get to, when you start out with credit and you get a credit card, it is difficult to have a $300 limit credit card and not use. I mean, that's, you fill up your gas twice and you're already halfway there. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it can be difficult, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's sort of their way of saying, okay, all right, we are going to take the risk of giving you this card. We're giving you a lower limit because we want to see how you can do this. If you right. can just start out with one take of gas and then pay it off. We want to see that you can do this and then we'll give you a higher limit. But if you have... You went to JCPenney's that day, and you took out a store card, and then you went to the next store, you took out another store card, and then you went to, uh, you called up a general credit card and um, got one with them, and you went on a shopping spree on all three of those. That next month, um, if you did that in September and October, you have a credit credit score or credit report full of high-balanced credit cards It looks like, wow... She she had fun. Maybe mm-hmm. is she getting ready for Christmas? What's going on here? Yeah. So it's that will take down your score. It really does. And in your score is actually calculated monthly. So if you you know if you're like oh gosh oh gosh I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have spent that much on it. Pay it down. Mm-hmm. That next month, a, a lower score can turn into a higher score just from paying those down. Right. It's a it's a monthly thing. If you can. And if you can work on it that month, that next month, it'll be, it can be totally different. So one thing too, um, when it comes to getting credit, don't be afraid to apply for a loan if you intend to take that loan out. But keep in mind something else that's going to pull your credit down is inquiries. How many places are you going? Are you going to you know a car dealer and letting them pull your credit two or three times and then a month later – going to a store and letting them do it once or twice and another store and then how often are people touching your credit because when it from a lender side they're going to look at your report and they can see every time somebody's accessed it for a few years i don't know the exact number it cuts off at but it's 18 months 18 months okay year and a half so they'll look and they'll see well how often is adrian coming and applying for credit is he doing it you know, once every few months or so, or is he doing it a couple times per month? How desperate is he to get somebody yes. to approve him? That's ex- okay. And you said that you said the right word there. That's the way they see it. They see you out trying to get credit, whatever you can get it. Mm-hmm. 
That's a scary thing, though. See, that's that's a good one. The um, inquiries. That's incredibly. And actually, it'll say at the bottom of your report if you you know if you get a if you get a copy of your credit report, it should say at the very bottom what has what makes up this score. And one of the things it does say at the very bottom is high number of credit inquiries, and that really does chip down on your score. And if you you went to five different places got four store credit cards and a a general credit card it's going to see they're going to it's going to show that at the bottom and it also shows let's say you went to 10 places but you only got five cards it shows that you know you you've got those five cards and maybe you've used them all it, it does it does it sort of it sort of shows a sign of desperation there with credit mm-hmm and a lot of times people, it's not necessarily a desperation to be able to pay for everything that you have, but it's also a desperation to go ahead and get your credit either started or fixed. Mm-hmm. And that's the and that's the kind of thing that you need to build on. You need to have um, some patience with when it comes to credit. Right. I will say uh, to highlight the negative with a positive, though, if you – there are certain types of loans – I don't believe credit cards fall into play, but mortgages, student loans, and car loans do. If you are out car shopping, as an example, and you apply for a loan at three different lenders in you know a 30-day period, all three of those inquiries will count as one on your credit for that month. Essentially, the bureau understands that you are out there trying to just secure the best rate, get the best terms, so on and so forth. So if that's something you're doing that one time, that's fine. Just don't make a habit of applying for credit that you don't intend to actually go get. So, collection items. I've had one of those in my day. They're fun. Don't get collection item. Yes, I think we can all relate on this Mm -hmm. one. I think everybody's had at least least (laughs) one. Even if you've paid it off, everybody's had at least one, especially Mm -hmm. medical. I know you all are thinking medical. I I look on so many reports where it's medical, and sometimes you can't... Can't get around it. Sometimes you can't help it. Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, if you're someone who doesn't have insurance, or even if you're someone who had to have an expensive surgery or something, things happen. Right. I mean, but there's all t- all sorts of collection items you can have. A collection item being something where you owed somebody money, maybe for a doctor visit or a cell phone or something like that. You didn't pay for that visit or the bill or whatever it was that you were charged. Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you know and just decide, hey, I'm not paying it this month. Either way, they may call you a few times and say, hey, are you going to come pay us? By the way, you owe us money this month. Where are you? After a little while, they will just go ahead and turn that debt over to a collection agency. The agency usually buys it for pennies on the dollar most times. And they'll try to reach out to you and get you to pay that debt back. But it's going to show on your credit as a collection item something that you just didn't pay. Yes, It's not written off. It's not a judgment where they can come and take money out of your paycheck we'll be covering that in just a little bit but it is something saying that you did not pay this and we know you did not pay this and here's documented proof that you didn't pay correct me if i'm wrong missy with medical collections isn't it isn't that the type of one where if you pay it off you can request that they remove that off your credit report yes i've actually done that personally okay i had it i had um when i got my very first car i didn't even know i had it on there um i think that was the I think that was the time when I was getting off my parents' insurance and onto my own, and I guess I had a, a, a balance or something there. So when I was getting in my car, you know, they had told me, they said, well, okay, well, you've got this on here, and I had no idea. And so I called them, paid, the, paid it over the phone, because it was the only one I had on there, and it, luckily it wasn't very high. Um, I called them up, 
paid it over the phone, and then I requested, you know, I said, well, if I pay this off, is this going to show that it's paid? Is this going to take this off of my report? And they said that they would contact the the people to get this taken off, and they did. That's the and that's the other that's the other side of it. When if you pay a collection, it will actually show on your credit report that you've paid it. Right. But it will it reports to your credit as a collection, so it will still take your score down. Right. It will take your score down. It does show, hey, you paid it. So it's better than leaving it unpaid. But nonetheless, you let it get there to begin with. Yes. That's actually, um, to flip the page very slightly, this is something that I think falls out of mind this year, thankfully. Paying for uh, paying a collection item for less than agreed. Yes, the um, settlement. Mm-hmm. Settlements. I had a cell phone that I decided, you know what, I'm done with this. I was unhappy with the service. I opened a phone with another company and just let that one go. I didn't care about it because I was 19 and stupid. They sent that to collections. I think uh, my credit report, it was about a $400 charge. And I was like, whoa, don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to move on with my life right now. A year later, when I decided it's time to take some responsibility for my decisions, I reached out and said, hey, I want to pay this off. What do I owe you? How do I do this? They offered, you know, if you pay us $190, we'll call it even. And I said, Mm -hmm. okay, great. Sure, why not? I'll do that. $190 over $400, no problem. It does show as paid on my credit, but it shows as I think the wording's paid less than yes, owed. Yes, it says yeah, it says um, settled for less than agreed. Mm-hmm. Which it does show, you know, <laughs> I've had some good faith of paying forward, but they still took a loss on me. Yes, you know, if you do finance somewhere, if you do finance local, and they say, okay, well, this isn't fantastic, but they did pay this. They didn't just ignore it. They did pay this. They said, look, I can't pay what I really owe, but here's what I'm going to give you for this, which is a good, it's mm-hmm. a good phase, like what Adrian said. I agree with that. So I know we had talked earlier about judgments, and judgments are... Judgments are the serious one. Judgments are the collection items, but taken to another level. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a, and a lot of times this will happen with credit cards, if you, especially if you have a certain... If you have a higher amount, limit. Yes. Yeah. If you have a 300, 500, you may not even think that that's worth the trouble, but if you have a larger credit card or something like that, then it can turn into a judgment, which means that they have decided to bring legal action against you mm-hmm. for what you owe. And when they bring legal action, it means that they can they can garnish your wages, which means that they can sort of put a um, they can go directly into your paycheck, you know, so to speak, I guess, and take take whatever amount that they deem necessary to get this paid off. And that can really cause a financial burden on you, especially if you're someone who needs every cent of your paycheck. Right. Because they don't, it doesn't matter that it has made it where you can't pay your lights this month or you can't do this, you can't pay your car payment. They, you know, they see it as you owe them for something. And a lot of times when you, when you have a judgment, it includes not only what you owe, but court fees as well. Mm -hmm. So if this is a $6,000 credit card that you owe with court fees and everything, that could turn into 8,000, 8,500, maybe not quite that much, but it's usually more. So you're, so you're paying a ton of money on this credit card. And that means they've, they've filed a motion. They've gone to court. A judge has granted permission to garnish your wages um, with some of the more serious things like student loans, as example, they can garnish your tax returns. Yes, that that happens. Mm-hmm. That I happens. Know, I know somebody that, that that's happened to. So keep this in mind if you're in a judgment situation. 
they can garnish your paycheck. I think the limit is, I don't know, 25%. Don't quote me on that. There's a certain amount that they cannot garnish all of it. So if you earn $100, they can't take every dollar of it. But they can also put a levy on your bank account. So like for some of the more important loans out there, like if you owe the IRS taxes, they can levy your account and go down to your institution and say, hey, I want all the money in that account. Yeah, the IRS can do whatever the heck they want to. They can. Judgments are serious. If you've reached that point where somebody decided to take you to court over it, do what you can to get it paid as agreed as soon as possible. And when you when you touched on um, the IRS levying your account, that is a that's what they consider a tax lien. Mm-hmm. And tax liens usually supersede other loans and other things that you have. Now, I know um, there are places that you can go to get secured loans maybe they're secured by a savings account that you have and Mm -hmm. um something like that where it's guaranteed funds you have it in your account those are yours but if you get a levy if you get a tax lien it will supersede that secured loan that you have that's secured by your your bank account funds the IRS can go in and say, okay, well, I, n- I realize you have this loan, but we need this money. Mm-hmm. They can take it. They can do it with your house, too. If you have some equity in your house and you still have a mortgage, they can put a tax lien on your house and say, I want – like basically, if you sell this house, I'm getting my money out of it. Mm-hmm. Whatever profit you have, I'm getting paid back. Before the mortgage gets paid, before anything else gets paid, I'm getting my money. One of those things to keep in mind out there. Judgments are very serious. These are all things that can bring your credit down. Like we're going to cover in a future show, and we've mentioned everything can be rebuilt, so don't think because you're in this situation, you're stuck there forever, you have to give up and just eat ramen noodles for the rest of your life. That's not the case. And it does take some work, but it is 100% possible. Take it from me, I've done it. We're going to go ahead and call it a day, and... Catch you all next week with the next show. Yay, we'll see you then. Have a good one. Although we are self-titled money experts, everything you hear is for general education and entertainment purposes only. Before you make any financial moves, you really should consult with an industry professional. We aren't on the clock, so neither of us are speaking as a representative of any company or organization. Cash Talk is an extension of manversuscash.com. Bye.